Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 331, Thursday, January the 25th. 2024. Are you there, Mark? I am, Brendan. We have had some travails this week. Yes. Making sure we get punch out our uh, podcast. But I'm here. I've made it work. Excellent. Yes, I think, well, a bit of the weather, but also some technical issues with equipment. So hopefully um, we'll be all on track and we'll be out on time. As expected, Thursday, January the twenty fifth, and right, we need to just do a little bit of housekeeping. VetGurus for all our new listeners. That's where to head over to and have a poke around there and download the other three hundred and thirty episodes <laughs> <laughs> to um, listen to in your spare time. And thank and link. Click on the links to our main sponsors there, which is Microchips Australia. F10 Chemical Essentials Australia, the wonderful distributor of F10 products here in Australasia, and also Specialized Animal Nutrition, which is the distributor of Oxbow products in Australia. And they both help support us by throwing us a little bit of money to help help pay for our internet fees and software fees etc many many thanks to them and also we do have a couple of patrons patreon.com vet gurus um, we'd love for some more just think you're getting 331 episodes of continuing education for for free at the moment all we ask is maybe throw us equivalent of a cup of coffee and just help us pay for our costs and if you're really keen and you want something stylish, head over to our Etsy store, vetgurus.com, or vetgurus at Etsy, and look at some merchandise there. So that's the plug, Mark. Um, apart from that, yeah, there's been, I think you just mentioned it's a little bit little bit hot and steamy out your way, and we've had a little bit of weather that's um, that's a bit weird, um, a bit warm um, for this time of the year. Well, not, not particularly well for this time, but muggy for this time of the year, Mark, in Melbourne. It's in our summer period here, and typically we have a dry heat, but it's certainly been very humid over the last um, few weeks, Mark. And, well, I can speak to the humidity up here at the very tip of Cape York where... Uh, 200% humidity. It's interesting, though, because normally the monsoon hits up here sort of last week of December, maybe first week of January, but really it's only hit us in the last, like, 10 days. Um, it's a couple of weeks late, and I think, I don't know whether, most people in Australia probably realise there's a cyclone developing off the Queensland coast in the Coral Sea. Uh, people are preparing, even as we speak, at uh, to, to deal with that in Townsville and north and south of there. But um, but yeah, I think it is having that uh, weather system is having a bit of an effect on on us up here. Um, yes, and uh, and we're getting a bit of the drizzle at the edges of the cyclone. Oh, stay safe and um, 
hopefully the cyclone will peter out and won't cause too much damage, Mark, when it hits the hits the land mass of Australia. We're, we're hopeful. I think we need to jump into, I said we're going to make this one punchy, so let's get moving, Mark. And you wanted to do a little bit of a review of a film that you, I mentioned that I'd already seen that you managed to catch, and that's Oppenheimer. I did. I did want to have a talk about Oppenheimer. I We, we reviewed uh, the Barbie movie a few episodes ago and, and both enjoyed that. But I mentioned that movie that I had very, very high expectations of. And and in some respects, I, you know, I didn't feel that they were all met. And so I was, I came away a touch disappointed where Oppenheimer's the opposite, Brendan. I had no expectation. In fact, I expected to be disappointed. Uh, but um, I actually came away quite enthralled and and uh, and I had a good time. The, the whole three hours, it was a long movie, uh, but um, I enjoyed it immensely. Interesting. What you... So what, why why were you not expecting it to be um, enthralling for you, Mark? What, what was the preconception? Well, I suppose that, that I don't do well with historical, like this movie's based uh pretty tightly on history and that's not one of my favorite genres and and of course it's the story of the development of the atomic bomb uh, that was used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II and um, and so uh, I, I sort of approached those aspects of it with a bit of dread um, that however I thought they were going to paint that I was a bit worried um, so I suppose that brought my expectations of my enjoyment down but the movie was not while they were significant events in the movie um, they were not um, uh, you know that certainly the movie wasn't about those events specifically they definitely were major factors in the movie but it and and you know the development of the bomb bomb drove the drama of the movie I think but it, they weren't absolutely driving the movie they weren't major features of the movie am i making that clear yes i think i think the um the last third of the movie mark was was for me it was much more interesting and because I, i was a little bit disappointed up until that stage actually i just thought oh yeah it's not it's not anything outside what i thought it would be about but the last third i didn't know the that story, assuming it's correct, what they reported in the movie about the sort of politics, which um, or the politics yeah, yeah. And, and and chasing Oppenheimer after after the events had happened. Um, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, the tricky tricky question, overarching question, is you know what should he or his group developed. Um, technology and uh you know the 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 basic answer the normal answer to that is well if we don't develop it the opposition will the the nazis or whoever would have developed it but is that a is that a reason for you know going through that or or are they just doing it because they they you know they're, they're scientists and they just um doing it for the theoretical um, position of, of, of doing something or creating something or that, that 
potentially is possible. What what was your thoughts on all of that sort of aspect? Well, I thought that was um, some of the highlights. The way they explored the the emotions and thoughts and motivations of each of the scientists and and Oppenheimer's uh, sometimes wavering. Uh, opinion of what was going on, it, it was a a very realistic, I thought, interpretation of the process that uh, um, probably went on, that there were doubts, there were um, uh, egos, there were um, a whole range of emotions, and they weren't absolutely consistent for each individual, and I'd imagine that's very much what it would have been like. Silence has taken its toll. Sorry, Mark, I'm back. <laughs> Were you talking then? I was talking then. <laughs> I knew you'd be saying something really witty and it, eloquent. It, it was it, um, very, very in-depth and very, very pointed, but uh, it's gone now. Yes, no, I was just saying that my, my dear wife, Annie, was quite um, appalled at the first... Um, half an hour or so of the film and she just got very angry mark yeah and thinking that why are these people building these things why did they do it you know they should have not gone um um developed these bombs at all and um she yeah she she then we had to actually split the viewing of the movie into a couple of couple of um sessions because of that so yeah it's an interesting interesting question isn't it and it's easier to, um, you know, to now know the destructive power of the the weapons they developed. Like they had some theoretical understanding, but it would be easier for us now to go, well, we know what those bloody things do. Let's not develop them. I, I, I do take, uh, what's the right way to put it? I, I respect that people in the moment would have been thinking differently than we can afford. Like it's a luxury we have to reflect on it now. Yep. So, oh, geez, I almost needed silence. <laughs> For a moment, I was really struggling. So, what's your what's your rating for this film, Mark? Oh, I would have given it a nine. A nine. I know. Well. I'm giving it about an 8.1 or so, so I think it'll average it out to about 8.6, Mark, something like that. <laughs> so, yes, I think it was a it was a good film. I don't think it was uh, – there was something a bit too Hollywoodish about it, and I have a bit of an – you know, a bias against, the you know, the classic sort of Hollywood-produced um, movies, Mark, so maybe part of that is in my um, score there, Mark. But um, – it, I'm sure it'll go on to win many more awards. Um, the acting was 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 um, was quite good, very good actually. So yeah, so there we go, Mark Oppenheimer, and let's jump into actually, <laughs> our, our main topic. We won't we won't do news because I want to rip through this main topic because I think it's a good one to because it's a potentially a little bit of a a dry topic um in 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 my opinion mark so but but it's an important one so i think well i'll keep you on the the straight and narrow and 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 moving along with this one because we're we're talking about avian influenza mark and you did or we have we have spoken about this 
briefly in a few other podcasts, Mark, but it's something that um, I think needs to be wrapped up into an actual main topic. So do you want to jump into it? I do. I do. I, I agree with you. We've touched on it in a couple of news items and as peripheral um, to a couple of other uh, topics we've discussed. But but I do think it's worth us going through as a main topic. And, and it is an important disease because it's a worldwide, uh, the virus occur, occurs worldwide. And the key thing that I often forget when, I, you know, because we don't deal with it on a regular basis. These things slip in and out of my consciousness. But I just remind everyone that it occurs in a high pathogenic and low pathogenic forms. These are often abbreviated to HPAI, high pathogenic avian influenza and LPAI yes. forms. Most low pathogenic strains of the virus uh, cause minimal disease. They will you know, cause very, very, uh, um, if any, they might be carried without any clinical signs. Or if they do, they might um, cause very, very modest clinical signs in wild birds and poultry. And of course, this disease is is critically important for the poultry industry. It causes profound mortality. Um, the high pathogenic forms causes profound uh, mortality and uh, morbidity and production losses in the poultry industry. So it's all, it's very high on the mind of veterinarians and uh, farmers in the poultry industry, Brendan. Yes, and specifically it's certain strains of it, isn't it, that, that are, are becoming, um, people becoming increasingly concerned about, especially within the poultry industry. Is that correct? Yes, and this is because everywhere but in Australia and Antarctica, there is currently a very, very uh, contagious, highly transmissible and persistent strain of highly pathogenic avian influenza. It's, uh, it goes, um, it's characterised as clade 2.3.4.4b. It was first detected in 2020, and, and now is all about the world except for like our part of it. And there, at the moment it is circulating, uh, but there is a concern um, that the disease will become endemic in certain parts of the world, this particular form of avian influenza. And as a consequence, it's causing a, a lot of stress for veterinarians, particularly for our colleagues in the US. It's causing a lot of anxiety around the world and particularly in Australia. It causes a lot of concern for wildlife carers for reasons that we'll talk about in a minute. Yes. Now, I want you to jump down, jump to, uh, and I think it's down the bottom of your little agenda dot point, Mark, cl the clinical signs of it. Um, let's let's talk about what do you see? This is the most frustrating thing, Brendan, that most of the time when, I, when I'm in clinical practice and I see poultry that have, uh, that has um, respiratory disease and there's mortality in the flocks, as we'd expect, influenza, respiratory disease, um, that's sort of like the classic presentation. But highly pathogenic avian influenza will cause uh, organ system damage in a number of different uh, parts of the body. So definitely they might be 
uh, they might have um, severe respiratory signs and die, um, but they also might present as neurologic cases or even horrible gastroenteritis cases. So the difficult thing about diagnosis is that there's no pathognomonic uh, organ system or sign that's going to set a veterinarian um, off. And so it often has to be um, a... Uh, uh, clinical pathology diagnosis. There often has to be tests that are done. And so I think the key thing about this whole diagnosis question is keeping avian influenza on your list of differentials, particularly in the case of um, uh, sudden death, particularly in poultry, definitely in poultry, uh, but even in wild birds. If there's a uh, outbreak uh, out, exactly of um, of a sudden group of birds dying of course do all your uh, uh, physical exam post-mortem exams pay whenever you're doing this with wildlife obviously use uh, uh, extreme care with uh, personal protective equipment make sure you're gloved and and uh, masked up when you do those post-mortems but also make sure you speak to your local um, government vet or whichever authority in whichever country you're in, and make sure you get those um, samples that are going to be able to um, confirm or deny the presence of avian influenza. Well, I was going to say excellent, but um, no, probably not sure. Not quite the right choice of words. So let's get back to the uh, the effects it's had in the um, in, in in wildlife market and poultry. Well, it's, it's distressing. I mean, it's just distressing to read about the, the numbers, Brendan. The poultry industry in the US is, you know, I don't think um, calling it a devastation is too extreme. 81 million birds in commercial and backyard operations have either died or been culled as a direct result of avian influenza since February 2022. This makes it the worst outbreak of avian influenza in the US's history. Wild birds are dying in huge numbers too, pushing some species that are critically threatened much closer to extinction. And, and researchers are worried about the Californian condor in particular. But um, many of the penguin species uh, are particularly we're worried about the penguin species that are in Antarctica. And there has been a report, um, a brown skewer, one of the um, large seabirds in the Antarctic. They, one of those has, uh, uh, has been suspicious in its testing results. I know that um, some of the tours that take um, bird watchers to the Antarctic have limited the number of visits to the shore uh, and a number of locations have been taken off landing protocols. So uh, there's a real worry um, that some of the the, uh, the birds of the Antarctic might be uh, exposed to this and 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 pushed to the point of extinction. That's a, that's a lot of dead animals, isn't it, Mark? Million. <laughs> it's it's scary, and you touched on the zoonotic aspects of it, Mark. So how how um, is it a zoonotic um, disease? Uh, and yes. or will it become, <laughs> or will it become, you know, a, a, a pandemic? 
potential? Good questions. Very, very good questions. And every time um, I think about avian influenza or I talk about avian influenza, I definitely, uh, um, particularly at the moment after our recent experience, I worry about um, the risk that it presents to humans. Now, humans can catch avian influenza um, and humans have caught this particular um, strain of avian influenza. Um, it has not proved to be easily transmitted to people and it has not uh, been recorded to be transmitted between people. So that's an outstanding thing. But it is definitely possible that um, uh, mutations could occur and yep. the uh, transmissibility or the contagiousness to people could end up uh, making this a, a real dangerous thing. And, and I always reflect on um, the 1918 um, pandemic uh, where uh, the, the avian influenza um, spread to humans, causing a horrible human, one of the uh, most huge uh, losses of human life outside of the wartime ever. So um, the, the virus does pose some uh, risk to humans. That's not a significant worry at the moment, uh, given what we've seen about the way the virus has behaved. But I know that it's constantly uh, in the background there that we, we you know, want to stop its spread. Um, yep. Because the less it spreads, the less chance there is that it's going to infect people, the less chance it's going to develop in, you know, recombine in such ways that might change its pathogenicity or contagiousness um, and make things much worse for people. So what options have we got, Mark, if it's an outbreak? What, what, what's the typical response? Well, it's, a, it's the typical response by most authorities is um, is to quarantine the areas where, where it's... Uh, where the, the disease has been identified and those flocks once isolated are generally culled. Um, it's, it's a horrible thought um, that sheds of 20, 30, 80,000 birds um, are going to be um, are going to be euthanized. but it's pretty much the only uh, uh, the only way to treat to control this disease and the use of vaccines, and antiviral drugs um, are reported to have some effect on the disease, um, but the risk is that they, while they might make individual animals safer or uh, not as sick or not as likely to get sick, um, they do raise the risk that, that the disease is gonna be less easy to control in populations. And so largely at the moment, um, the go-to strategy for most government authorities is uh, isolation and culling of affected flocks, unfortunately. Yeah. <sighs> not too happy, is it? <laughs> All of it's this. not a happy topic. But, look, I think it's important um, that we talk about it. It's important to also mention um, because there are responsibilities, each of us as registered veterinarians in our uh, particular jurisdiction um, need to be aware of these diseases because uh, it, this is a notifiable disease in Australia and in many other parts of the world. The government uh, uh, 
um, animal health authorities want to know about it so that they can uh, formulate programs to control it. So veterinarians in private practice who deal with um, either commercial poultry flocks or backyard chickens need to be aware of it and they need to keep it on their differential list uh, for uh, outbreaks of death uh, and respiratory disease. Yep. And they need to discuss those things with the government authorities and take appropriate samples and get appropriate tests done. Um, and, in, and if you do that sort of thing, like I don't know how many times I've done it and it's all turned out to be you know, um, clear, but it's going to be the one time that you don't do it, um, that, uh, that things are going to go south. So don't ever be afraid of contacting your government uh, veterinarian and, and having a talk with them. And I think most of those government veterinary um, organisations are quite, um, quite good and um, helpful um, with helping you with that, Mark. And I think here at, in Australia, it's the Emergency Animal Disease Hotline, isn't it, that you call? The Emergency Animal Disease Hotline will get you through to the, the, um, the State Department that does the initial work. Um, and also, I think you can, uh, I think that will also get you through for, uh, to the Australian Wildlife Health Network as well. But, um, yep, yeah, the, the uh, 1-800 number here in Australia, one eight hundred six seven five triple eight. Uh, the Emergency Animal Disease Hotline will get you in touch with the appropriate person. Yes. I know we've ripped through that pretty quick, Mark. Thank you very much for that. I told you I was going to push you through it. Any other any other sort of uh, summary comments you have about avian influenza? Look, I suppose the, the one thing I'd close with is um, that I've spoken to a number of uh, veterinarians who have dealt with notifiable diseases in private practice and and you hit the nail on the head um the first time you do it there is a bit of a fear of dealing with the uh, authorities about these things but my experience has been that every time i've done it they've been exceptionally helpful they understand the situation veterinarians in private practice are in and and they're very supportive and i wouldn't hesitate to contact them if i thought i had something going on wise comments there mark and uh hopefully our listeners will not end up with some positives but it's always important to be aware and because of those clinical signs can be so vague can't they they don't have to just be a a, a classic respiratory sign and as we know with with birds and especially poultry mark um a bit of the snuffles or something respiratory um is a fairly common presenting sign isn't it it definitely is, but um, if you've got a few of them and some of the birds are dying, talk to your local government authority. Call that hotline. And with that, we're going to get out of here, Mark. Vetgurus.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.